Hello, this is episode 213 and in it, I'm going to be helping you see how to review your construction drawings and what to check as you look through them. Now, your construction drawings, they're a significant gateway to determine how you're actually going to be communicating the outcome that you want on site in your renovation or new build project and then the experience that you want to have during construction as well. So, what we find is that drawings with insufficient specifications and descriptions on them, they'll either mean that you'll just get what the builder always does, uh, you know, or that they'll assume a bunch of decisions on your behalf in order to keep construction going that you may or may not like, uh, or you'll be receiving phone calls every day as they're, tra- as they're checking in with you about what you want. So on the other hand, inaccurate drawings or poorly coordinated drawings, they can mean confusion, mistakes and potentially extra spend on your behalf as it becomes very difficult to establish what was in the contract and what wasn't. So to do a thorough review and to know what to check prior to seeking your final final price from your builder and getting to your, uh, your contract signed, that's actually really going to help you avoid dramas and mistakes on site. In addition, your construction drawings, they actually form part of your contract and your legal arrangement with your builder. So you want to be sure that they include all the things that you've discussed and you've been agonising over as you've worked to develop and finalise your design. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode where I talked about how to check your design drawings, be sure to do so. You can listen to it or you can download the PDF transcript by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 212. That's the numbers 212. There really is no point reviewing your construction drawings when you're still changing your mind about design or finalising your ideas and thoughts about how you want your home to be. You're going to be much better served knowing that your design is actually locked in and your construction drawing review is then all about ensuring that the thought and the discussion that's been translated from design has gone into the package for your new home or your renovation and that that's what will be constructed from. Remember as well, I've also got a full transcript of this episode and there's other links and resources related to this topic as well as a free PDF uh, download and you can head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 213, that's numbers 213. So it's 212 for the design drawings uh, episode and 213 for the construction drawing episodes. So make sure you head there, grab that transcript and you can file it away and review the episode as needed. Now... Let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated and empowered as you design, build or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014 and it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future. One that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. 
Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track, or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. Take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Now, as I said up front, I shared some tips on how to check your design drawings. One thing that I didn't get into in that episode though, but I want to mention before we dive into this discussion about construction drawings, is what you can do to better position yourself to know that your design is actually finalized and you're ready for construction drawings to commence. An important part of the design process in actually getting ready for it and in navigating it is to get really intentional about knowing who you are, who your family is and how you want to live in your future home. And many don't actually take the time to understand themselves or what their future home needs. I find that homeowners will create their design brief and then their design from a place of looking outwards at what others are doing, how others are living and what seems to be presented to them as a great way to create a home. However, and I hear this a lot from my home method members, what happens when you actually do the work of really getting to know yourself and the way that you want to live? You generally need less than you initially thought, less home, less rooms, and then more quality, more functionality, more flexibility, and more lifestyle. Additionally, if you're not getting sufficient information to make good decisions in your design phase, then you'll probably find yourself being pushed through by the team that you're working with to the point where they just want to get you to where they've budgeted in your fees to be able to give you that extra information further along the process. Or you might want to race through because you're not aware of all the decisions that you need to make, or you feel things need to be further along before you actually get to finalise those decisions and even discuss them. I also see a general impatience in this phase, in this design phase from some homeowners who really just want to get things started on site, you know, as soon as possible. Uh, And it can sometimes be because they can't visualise what those lines on a page mean for the three-dimensional spaces that they'll be living in or what their home will look like overall. So they have an urgency to get to site and then test it all in real life at one-to-one. I want you to be aware of this as you move through the design phase, okay? If you're working with a building company who's also providing design services in a design construct model, then you may find that this is often the case, that you're being pushed through because their real money will get made in the build phase and in your home being finished and not in the design phase, which they might be doing at low costs or even for free or as a subtraction off the contract sum. Whoever you're working with, though, ensure that you use a design process that actually gives you the time, the space, the bandwidth, the support, and the opportunity to gather research, to investigate options, to test ideas, and to arrive at a design resolution that fulfills the true goals of what you want to achieve, not what you're seeing on social media or what television tells you supposedly makes a home, but what you know deep down you and your family 
actually need. That's what the design phase is all about. Now, let's talk about our construction drawings, okay? So these are a necessary part of new builds and renovation projects. Now, they're required for builders to accurately price your project. They're a significant form of communication that you can use to convey what you uh, want, both at a general and a detail level, and also the outcome that you wish to create. And of course, they become a contractual benchmark of what is included and what's not included in the contract sum prior to commencing construction. Yet, they're also often something that homeowners will try very hard to save cash on. And they're also something that can vary widely depending on who you work with, what fees they're charging, and the type of project that you're doing. Now, volume builders and project home builders, they'll often do small packages for their construction drawings that might only be a few pages in total because their business model is actually based on them doing the same type of detailing and approach across all of their projects. And so their construction packages will usually just pick up what's required for the final approvals for you to commence construction and then what is site-specific for your project. Their teams of trades and subcontractors are generally all trained in how to build those their types of homes. And so there's not a need for specific documentation that's nuanced to your kitchen or your lighting layout. It's all pretty stock standard for them. And sometimes the drawings, they they may be included in your package, but they might be generated from that house types standard set of documentation that they have sitting in their library. Now, at the other end of the scale, a high-end architecturally designed home, it can have hundreds of pages of drawings that can take months and months to create. They can be delivered in trade packages so that each subcontractor is issued their relevant package of information. And they can be accompanied by specifications and schedules, which are all about appropriately conveying and controlling the detailing on site and minimising the amount of assumptions or physical choices that a builder and their team actually have to make in building the home. Ultimately, this is about enabling the architect on behalf of you as their client to document exactly the outcome that they're seeking to achieve down to the last detail and millimetre. And somewhere in between both of those scenarios is what most homeowners need to do to manage their documentation costs, effectively communicate their requirements for their home and have a package that limits mistakes and assumptions and also limits the number of surprises or moments of, you know, why didn't the builder ask me that? I would have wanted something different. Construction drawings, like construction itself, they should be the execution of planning already done. Ideally, there's not any big decisions being made during the construction documentation phase. Now, your architect or your designer, they may need to make some smaller design decisions to ensure that the construction detailing they're including actually supports the overall design of the project as per your discussions to that date. However, generally, construction documentation is actually about just getting down on paper the physical method of building the design that you've been discussing and developing in the months prior. So the goal is definitely to be resolving your design decisions, your material selections, your needs, your wishes, your wants, all prior to the construction documentation commencing. And then that documentation process can go much more smoothly. And if you haven't had a builder involved during the design process as a collaborative team member by using the PAC process or the paid as consultant process, then getting some buildability and cost input before you invest in construction drawings, it's definitely worthwhile. That's going to minimise the need to redo things significantly later on if you find out that you're over budget when you go to get quotes. If you're going to get quotes, you know by now, (laughs) it's not my recommended method of uh, moving through your uh, documentation and construction phase. Now, another thing that I want to mention here is that these construction drawings, they may be separate 
to what's required for your final building approvals. Now, depending on where you're located, you may find that there are specific requirements for the type and the number of drawings that you need to submit for a building approval or a construction certificate or a construction uh, approval, whatever it's called where you are. And also, you know, what those drawings need to show and include. So make sure you understand that in detail so, so that you can actually satisfy those requirements and also that you're reviewing any fee proposals that you're receiving from designers or draftspeople with that in mind. Now, as I mentioned earlier, your construction documentation, it's going to form part of your contract with your chosen builder. They, along with the supporting documents such as specifications, they're what the builder is going to use to finalise your contract sum and then they're going to refer back to it when they're identifying variations later down the track should you have those during your build. So it's essential that they include, that the, you know, that, that package of documentation, it includes all of your discussions, all your changes of mind and the particular details that you want in your future home. Many a homeowner has been caught out because they discussed something in a meeting, they missed that it hadn't been updated in the construction drawings, they went to contract and then they discovered that it wasn't in their build or their price. Now, I'm not going to run through what my suggested list of drawings is to enable you to efficiently describe your future new home or renovation and then what you should seek to have included with your design professional that you're choosing to work with. I do have that inside my home method. I've got a sample set of documentation inside the home method. Uh, I show you the suggested set of drawings that balance budget, efficiency and control that have been developed from lots of different projects to really test what's sort of the minimum set of documentation that really gets you the best outcome. Uh, so if you're interested to check that out, then that's all inside the home method if you want to access more support in your project journey. In this podcast episode, I want to dive into your construction drawings and really how to assess whether they include what you need and the checks to make. And in doing so, you'll most likely get an inkling of some of the kinds of drawings that are worth including. However, as with the last episode, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list. So for example, I'm not going to talk through about the various other consultant drawings that you might need to include in your set and how to review those as well. I'm only going to be focusing on the drawings created by your design professional or drafts person, and it's not going to be an exhaustive list of what to check in those construction drawings. But I am hoping that with what we go through in this episode, it's going to give you some really nitty gritty, meaty stuff to actually work through. And it's going to help you realize that checking your drawings is worthwhile. And it, and I'll give you some pointers about what to check. Because the thing is that your designer will most likely send you the package of construction drawings to look over. I want to make sure that you're not just doing a cursory glance and then you're outsourcing all of the responsibility to them to ensure that they've included everything that you've been discussing for the past several months. Hopefully through this episode, you actually realize that it's worthwhile reviewing them properly and I give you some tools to do so. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all make mistakes, even professional designers. So consider yourself another set of eyes before your construction drawings actually become the contractual documents that you're tied to legally because it's always a worthwhile investment of time and effort. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode, which was episode 212 about how to check your design drawings, I'd really encourage you to do so or just go ahead and download the PDF transcript. It's a really great checklist to review and it's going to be necessary before you get to this stage of checking your construction drawings. You want to have done that, that check first. So you'll find that at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 212. That's the numbers 212. And then before we dive into this list on the construction drawings themselves, remember you can grab uh, the resources for this episode plus a downloadable PDF transcript by heading to 
www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 213. That's the numbers 213. So 212 for design drawings and 213 for construction drawings. Okay, so let's dive into my tips on what to check in your construction drawings. Now, some of the checks that I'm suggesting here may seem super finicky. However, unfortunately, I've seen lots of homeowners working with substandard professionals who don't have quality control systems, they're not properly trained, they're not, uh, they don't work to ensure the accuracy and thoroughness of their documentation. So I want to empower you with some things to do so that you can review your drawings and highlight where errors may be. So ultimately you can hold your design professional accountable and get a much quali better quality uh, outcome in the process. Now the first one is to check that every drawing has a title block on it with a drawing name and each page is numbered and has a revision number or a letter on it. Now, all drawings in your construction set, they need to have a title or a name on them, which describes what the drawing is, and then be numbered in their title block and have something that indicates what revision they are. Now, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if this is formal drafting protocol, but what we've done in most of the places that I've worked is that the design drawings use letters to indicate their revisions. So they'll be revision A, revision B, revision C, etc. And then once you move through into construction and those drawings convert from being design drawings to construction drawings, then you start using numbers for the revisions. So revision 01, revision 02, revision 03. And by doing this, it actually enables you at a snapshot to see whether those drawings are still just for design and approval only or whether they're for construction, just by looking at how the revision is being described, whether it's by letter or by number. It's actually a really good device. So um, something just you can have a chat to your designer about. Now, it's also important that there's a register that indicates what has changed in each revision of the drawings and shows what which revision each drawing is up to. Now, so in the title block of each drawing, you'll see potentially that they've got a little description of what has been changed on that drawing on a drawing by drawing basis and what the most current revision is. It might be a little table that's in your title block um, and it'll have the reason for the issue and then the revision number associated with that. Um, ideally, you're though not having to get construction drawings changed and reissued once you've signed your contract, but sometimes this can happen for a variety of reasons, including you changing your mind. And so for documentation control, you don't only want the revision number to get updated on the drawings, you actually, it's really useful and essential that it's tracked somewhere that's visible for those to, who need to see it. So there's going to be the note on the title block, but there'll also ideally be a document register somewhere. Now, this may be in a separate document, just an A4 page that's uh, a digital document that then goes with each issue of the drawing package as a document transmittal record. Uh, and it can be on the cover of the documentation set. And what it'll be is a list of drawing numbers and names with the most current revision number identified next to each of those um, drawing numbers and names. So for example, in the drawings on the title block itself, it may say issued for construction or it may, may say, you know, updates to the roofing material or something along those lines that highlight why that drawing was updated or why it's being issued with that revision. Not every drawing number, sorry, not every drawing needs to have the same revision number. You can have a set that might have some ones in it, some revision threes in it, some revision tens in it. Um, you know, you'll actually find that some drawings can get updated more than others. But the idea is then that the document transmittal record, the register, the drawing register actually always shows which is the most current revision for each of the drawing numbers. So somebody can see in a snapshot by looking at that 
uh, drawing register what is the most current package of drawings that they should be looking at. This is the thing, many mistakes have been made because somebody's not working off the most current set of documentation. And this is easy to avoid when you've got proper documentation control processes, which hopefully your designer has and you can call them to account on. Now, next, I want you to check how your specification is being included. So is it going to be in the title sheet of the documentation package or is it going to be a separate, uh, you know, A4 document that's going to be created in Word or Google Docs or something like that? It's really difficult to dis- to completely describe the whole project with drawings alone. It'll often need supporting information with written descriptions that will describe specific elements, indicate material requirements, and also notify everyone of what quality level standards and legislation need to be followed for the various parts of the project. So some designers and draftspeople, they keep their specifications on their drawings. So they might have some additional pages at the front of the package that have all of this information written on it. They may also have some notes in a column uh, on each of their drawing pages as well. Other designers and particularly architects will actually include a specification document that's an A4 um, document that forms part of the contract docs and it needs to be read in accompaniment with the drawings. Now, it's important though that with all of your documentation, especially if there's a bundle of different things that make up the package of information that's used to formalise your contract and actually construct your project, you need to establish the hierarchy of what documents matter most, okay? Because what can sometimes happen is there can be a discrepancy if there's a mistake between the specification and the drawings. Um, So it might be that there's a note on the drawings and that differs from the description inside the specification. Then you want it to be understood what the hierarchy of documents is so that everyone knows which one takes priority and which one they have to follow first. Because this can really help with clarity and with managing variations and then also ease of communication overall. I want you to read through your specification, ensure that it includes information that's actually relevant to your project and it isn't simply a set of notes that have been copied and pasted over to your project but don't actually apply. Now next, actually read through, review all of the drawings and all of the notes in your documentation. I want you to read every single page, okay? This may sound like an obvious thing to do, but it's really important that you go over it with a fine-tooth comb. You follow the arrows, you look at the notes, you ensure that all your discussions and decisions have actually been incorporated into your drawings. Check all the material references, check the descriptions of the elements. You know, if there's codes being used, check that there's a legend on the drawings that describes what those codes are. If you don't understand a note or an acronym, then ask your the person that's done those docu- that documentation what it's actually referring to and what it means. The thing is that building can be a really terminology-rich industry and sometimes the language or symbology that is used in drawings, it can seem... Uh, It can seem a bit confusing to the untrained eye, but it should actually be something that's quite logical when it's explained to you that you can look through and understand quite comprehensively. So if you don't, ask for it to be explained to you. You know, this is your house, it's your investment, it's your team that you're paying, so you want to know that you're across it. Many who've had a horrible experience told me later that they naively trusted their designer or builder and they didn't realise all of these things that were actually plainly shown in their documentation once it was pointed out to them. It's a really harsh lesson to find out that things were in your drawings all along that actually made your home different to what you were anticipating but you just didn't realise that they were there because you didn't look or you didn't understand them when you did. Now I want you to check over your floor plans and check the dimensions actually add up a couple of lines of dimensions that align with each other. Do they add up to the same number? 
So what I mean by this is your drawings, they may show a lot of dimension lines on the floor plans. Uh, they'll be around the outside of the floor plan. And for a builder to build your home, they're going to use those dimension lines to set out the various stages of work on site and then to check back their work against that. So each dimension line can represent a slice through the floor plan at that point. It'll be living on the outside of the floor plan, but it generally represents cutting through the floor plan at some at some point uh, in, in a relatively long alignment, like a seamless alignment. And what they're doing, what those dimension lines are doing is they're showing how the walls and the other structural elements need to be set out, what the measurements between all of them are. So if you've got a particularly detailed floor plan or you've got a, a, a wide a floor plan that's wide in one direction, you may find that you have a multitude of dimension lines and that's going to help the builder be able to see where individual elements are set out in all parts of the plan. Now, where you actually see those dimension lines on the side of your drawings aligning with each other at the end, they should actually then add up to the same number, okay? So if you've got a dimension line that's got dimensions on every single portion of it, um, sometimes there be, might be gaps where there's a frame or something, a wall frame set out and so they don't have that, that wall frame's 90 mil or something like that. But if you can go through and you can see a continuous line of dimensions and then another line of dimensions that aligns the, with the same extent or outside lines as the first line of dimensions, then add up the numbers, okay, and see if they add up to the same thing. Um, if your designer is actually using computer software to generate your plans, you, they can then generate the dimensions um, automatically as they create your floor plans. There's tools inside CAD software that enables them to put the dimensions on. So what happens is they'll be basically working up your floor plan in the computer for your construction documentation. They'll use the dimension tool. They'll indicate where they want dimensions to be measured to. And then the software generates what those number measurements actually are. And the line gets created um, and play, and you can then the draftsperson or designer can place that on the side of your drawing and get the layout to work and be neat and tidy and legible. And then what happens is because those uh, those dimension lines have been generated and they're attached to the things that they're measuring to, if that element moves in the drawing, say you move a wall 20 mils, then the dimension number should dynamically update uh, in the CAD software. Sometimes though, what can happen is that designers can need to jump in and manually override the, the dimension text. Now, this isn't great practice, but sometimes it's necessary. It can particularly happen in renovation projects where, you know, you might find that your existing house has really strange dimensions because you're generally aiming to have dimensions that end in a five or in a zero. So their measuring on site is generally simpler overall rather than having 3,421 millimetres you'd want to have 3,420 for the builder to be able to do that simply. So, but if a dimension text has been overridden to get that nice roundness of dimensions, you can find that sometimes then when the drawing gets updated, that the, the, the dynamic link isn't there and that dimension hasn't been updated either. And so that can be a problem and that can get missed in drawings. Um, or you might find that the maths just doesn't stack when you add up the different dimension lines that should align with each other because there's a manually overridden a bit of text in that dimension line. Now, the dimensions are going to be used by the builder very carefully, ideally. <laughs> you want your builder using those dimensions um, to set out your house on site. So you want to check their accuracy. You want to check that they are as you anticipate them to be and that they're the size, you know, that everything is the size that you want them to be. It's a really worthwhile uh, investment of effort. Now, also you need to understand are the dimensions shown to the frame 
to your wall framing or are they shown to the finished face of the wall? Find out if you don't know, if it's not clear from your drawings, so that you're not making assumptions uh, that they're the, to the finished face of the wall and that they're actually instead measured to the, to the frame. Because what you'll find is that once construction is underway and your framing is going up, that your rooms are going to be smaller than you planned because you're going to lose the thickness of wall lining in each room um, once it goes on the frame. Now, it might only be 20 millimetres, but this can matter in some tighter rooms in the home. So make sure you check that out. I want you to also check your floor plans for any levels that are on them and also your elevations and sections for height dimensions. Now, if you have a restriction on your overall height limit of your home, check that there are actually levels on the highest point of your home and that it's at a height that is less than what is permitted and ensure that all heights of ceilings and floor levels in your home are as you've discussed with your designer. Check is the natural ground level shown in your elevations and sections as your local council defines it. So, Natural ground level can sometimes be different to the actual ground level. And if it is different, you want both of those things shown, both your natural ground level and your actual ground level. And then you want to see that that ground level is actually extending beyond your property boundaries so that any boundary retaining or any boundary works is indicated and actually included in the scope of works that you want the builder to do. If you have a height limit that is measured to the natural ground level instead of the actual ground level, such in areas like Brisbane City Council uh, properties, they measure to natural ground level, you'll actually find that there's going to be a survey check that needs to happen during the build that your builder is most likely going to organise. And so you want to make sure that your drawings accurately reflect a project that is under the required height limit before you start so you don't have any dramas once your frame is up in the air and that surveyor comes to do that check and finds that it's actually over the height limit that's allowed. Now, for anything external to the house, do the drawings actually include how the house connects with the ground level of the site? I've seen homeowners not be aware that the level of their house will sit well above their ground level in certain locations due to the slope or the topography of their site. And so construction commences, they see their slab go in, and then they realise that, for example, there's a 750 millimetre drop outside of their laundry door, a 75 centimetre drop, that has had no thought or consideration by their designer or builder, and there are no stairs included in their drawings. Sometimes the fall has been bigger, and so the builder's strategy to complete the build has been to put a door on the laundry that then doesn't open. It's it doesn't even have any locking mechanism so that they can actually fulfill their legal liability in terms of managing falls from height over a metre. But the homeowner is then left with a laundry space that doesn't work as it intended to. It's got a locked door, they can't get out of it, and there's no way for them to physically get from the laundry down onto their garden as they anticipated. I kid you not, okay, I have seen this happen. So your home sits on a site and that site has levels and it has topography and it might have slope. So don't think of your home in isolation. Understand how it's going to connect with the ground around it and what needs to be done for that transition of levels between inside and outside. Even if your site is relatively flat, once you'll find that once you put a large slab on it, there may actually be more level difference than you've realised. I see many designers and builders who are trying to limit their involvement in the documentation and also minimise their obligations to a client and their site. They'll simply not resolve a home's relationship with the ground around it. And if a homeowner has actually said to the builder, look, we're going to do the exterior after the builder has left, including the driveway, because they're aiming to save some cash, then that can worsen the problem and actually totally absolve the builder and the designer from resolving any of those issues and leave it in the bucket of the homeowner's work to handle. 
I've seen so, so, so many issues caused by this for homeowners who didn't understand how to think about the three-dimensionality of their house and site and review it in right to the extent of their site boundaries. Uh, and they've ended up having to deal with retaining on site boundaries, steps out of laundries, steps off our fresco areas, uh, footpaths up to front doors, driveway grades, all sorts of things that they weren't aware of that haven't been budgeted for that are then in their bucket of things to resolve. And, you know, there's been designers and builders who've just been able to wash their hands of the problem because they're of the way that their working arrangement was set up. So don't get caught out, okay? Think about your site and its levels right out to and beyond the boundary line so that you know exactly what's going to happen and where your house physically sits on the site and what that means for the levels overall. Now, further to this, do your drawings show external services and where stormwater and sewerage gets connected to and the external drainage points and required falls? You know, where are the stormwater drains in your garden? What about external taps? How is your driveway drawn? Is your If your street is higher than your garage, do the drawings show how water is going to be handled that runs down your driveway so it doesn't flood your garage each time it rains heavily? Some of these things, they're going to be handled as a matter of course by a good quality builder who knows their obligations when resolving services on site. However, if external works aren't part of your builder's scope or if you want to control where the drains actually are so that you don't end up with a graded drain in the middle of your beautiful large area of turf that you're going to trip over every time you run around with the kids in your garden, then you want to ensure that it's shown in your construction drawings. Now, is there a roof plan showing roofing arrangement, fall, type of material, gutter and downpipe arrangement and the levels of the roof ridges? Is the roof design, the fall and the materiality what you anticipated? Are the positions of the downpipes where you expect them to be? Are they shown on the elevations and are they not getting in the way of things on your home? For example, sitting behind a door that you wanted to have fully open. Now, does the set include any sections to show the internal arrangement of ceilings, volumes, floor levels and anything else specific that you wanted in your home? And are your intended ceiling heights shown? Sections are a really useful drawing. Uh, they slice through the home like slicing through a piece of cake to show its interior volumes and arrangement and they can be very descriptive drawings in a construction set. I've seen some construction sets that will just include one or two as almost like an obligatory, you know, cursory exercise. However, if your home has interesting levels, if it's split level at all, or if it has varying ceiling heights or it's sitting on a sloping site, you may need to more effectively illustrate this to your builder. Additionally, if you're doing an extension, a section can be a really helpful way to describe the connection between the existing home and the extension, showing how roofscapes connect or butt into each other and what is happening with the levels of ceilings and floors. Sections are also a place where you can highlight where more information might be needed for connection points around windows, for example, where the floor meets the walls or where the ceiling meets the roof and more detailed description is described. So if you've got, for example, any architectural elements on the facade of your home, such as window hoods or specific design elements, you know, a section may show them at one to a hundred, but then it can also use drawing symbols um, that I'm going to mention in a minute, where then it can highlight where there's a further detail of that particular point that's drawn elsewhere in the package. So the builder knows to refer to and find out more information in that detail. Now, I want you to check your window schedule and compare it to the windows and doors in your floor plan. So your window schedule, it may be a written list uh, of window numbers with widths and heights and the descriptions of the glass windows and doors that you have on the outside of your home. 
or it may be done as drawing pages where the windows are physically drawn as individual elevations, usually drawn from the outside, with some information below them to describe each window. Window schedules, they're really useful because they simplify ordering windows from the manufacturer and they can describe a lot more uh, required information about the windows than the elevations and the plans do. So to read a window schedule, you need to look at your floor plans and elevations. The windows and the doors, they should all be numbered using symbols on the drawings. And those numbers are then going to correspond to the window described in the window schedule. So it might be that the window actually has a numbered name in the drawing, or it might be that there's a little icon identifying what the number of that window is. Now, Sometimes when you have duplicate windows in your um, in your floor plan, so say you've got three windows that are all the same, then you'll find that those numbers will uh, double up on your floor plan because they'll only be drawn or described once in your window schedule. So look at the window and the door numbers used. Then look, do they actually correlate with the correct window in the schedule? And then in, is the window that's in the schedule shown how you want that window to be in size, in position, uh, on the wall in terms of its sill height and its head height, uh, the frame type, uh, the finish on the frame, and then its operability, how it physically opens. And then if you want any screening or security on it, is that described as well? Now, a lot of CAD software automatically generates window schedules or it automates a good part of the generation of window schedules, which is about minimising the mistakes made between translating the information from floor plans and elevations into a window schedule. And it also means if a a, a draft person or a designer is using 3D CAD software, you know, that they can, that, that window schedule can also dynamically update as a window changes in the 3D floor plan too. It's still worth checking though, because reordering windows after the wrong one has arrived on site, that can be really costly and time consuming. So you want to try to avoid that. Now, are there any detailed drawings that include that are included in the set that highlight the smaller elements that you want to have control over in your future home? Many construction sets, they have site plans, floor plans, a roof plan, elevations, a couple of sections, and then they stop there. If you want to, though, control what's actually going to happen throughout your home, then chances are you're going to need more drawings than that. And if you want to also secure accurate prices on various things in your home prior to committing to a contract, then you're going to need more information presented in your drawings. So this can include a range of things, uh, not limited to, but can include your kitchen layout, your laundry layout, any bathrooms and their layouts, joinery design through your home, your electrical and lighting layout, your floor finishes and how they connect with each other, slab set downs for flush thresholds into rooms, your stair design, any special uh, design items such as window seats or study nooks or bookshelves, tile set outs in your wet areas, the heights of door handles, heights and locations of light switches, the set out of fixed items such as towel rails and other items in your wet areas, um, any heavy things that you want to hang on the walls like a TV, doing wall-mounted vanity instead of a floor-mounted one, uh, floor waste positions, locations of expansion joints in ceilings and in floor coverings, and the list goes on. Now, I often find that homeowners, they'll forget all of the details that go into the finishes and the fit out of their home, and it won't get documented. And then they'll get seriously disappointed when things end up differently on site than they envisaged, uh, but they didn't actually communicate anywhere. Uh, or it was only communicated verbally in a design meeting at some point and never ended up on any drawings. And many people then complain that their builder did something strange and ask then what the standard set out is for that spe specific thing. 
The thing is that for lots of things, there is no industry-wide standard. For example, there's the height of power points or light switches or tower rails or other range of items in your home. You know, unless you're actually building to other codes that might be helping with equitable equitable access or you might be, you know, uh, needing to position power points near a water source, for example, then you'll find that there'll be electrical requirements that will kick in regarding where those setouts need to apply, uh, need to apply and where things needed to be physically located. Ultimately, though, if you want to control these things, you need to describe these things in your drawings. Do not assume that your builder will call you for instructions when they're about to do it on site or understand what you want unless it is drawn. Getting it drawn is just going to avoid confusion and prevent headaches and frustration down the track. The number of times that I've seen a homeowner move into their finished home and the details that they overlooked in describing and controlling They're the details that frustrate them every single day. And I think it's a combination of frustration that things didn't go as well as they wanted them to or they didn't turn out how they'd planned and it's combined then with a disappointment in themselves that they didn't pick things up earlier or they didn't know what to do to avoid it happening at all. People really punish themselves over it and they feel foolish that these things have happened on their build. They'll be annoyed with the builder, but they'll also be really upset with themselves. Now, that is a horrible place to be mentally in your home, especially when you have a daily reminder of the stuff up around you that's potentially also making some or all of your home and your life in it really inconvenient to live in and to use. So please, please don't make that mistake. Okay. So these are my tips and my things to be aware of when you're reviewing your construction drawings. That was a big list, wasn't it? I went through a lot of things there. I really want you to uh, take that to heart have another listen or download the PDF transcript and make sure that you have it with you as you do your final check prior to signing a contract with your builder. Now, of course, if you find that anything is incorrect in your drawings, ensure that your designer, your architect or your draftsperson updates those things before they become your formal contract documentation. I've seen homeowners, you know, send back notes, assume that the updates would be made. Their builder has gone ahead and prepared the contract. They've pushed them to sign things so that they can get things going on site. And then they discover that the included documentation hasn't been updated. And legally, they're then responsible for variation changes to get the things that they had assumed had been included uh, when they'd physically signed the contract. So don't rush the process of finalising construction documentation, ensuring that it's all accurate, getting your contract some sorted and then signing the contract. You'll actually have some builders, particularly builders who are chasing cash flow, they'll treat this with a huge um, urgency, okay? Good operators though, they're methodical, they're diligent with their documentation control, they want you as their client to feel informed and to understand what you're signing and they want all of the relevant information to be properly coordinated and up to date because they know, they know that it's going to save them headaches down the track and it's not going to set you up as their client for disappointment either and force them to have to have difficult conversations with you during your build. And that's it for this episode. Now, That was a meaty one. As I said, lots and lots in that episode. Now, uh, if you heard me talk about the new service that I'm using, Airwallex, in the last episode and you haven't had the chance to check it out, then make sure you do by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash save. That's S-A-V-E. I've got more information there about Airwallex and uh, a link there to set up your free account. 
Airwallex is a really fantastic service that I've been loving using. If you're purchasing things overseas or you're sending money to or you're receiving money from overseas as well, uh, you're really going to find it helpful. I, as I said, I am absolutely loving it. I'm finding it a great platform to navigate, super easy. I've uh, already got my physical debit card as well as all of my digital cards set up and I'm seeing the savings already. Now, um, so that was undercoverarchitect.com forward slash save. And there's more information on that page for Airwallocks. All of the resources in this episode, plus uh, the downloadable PDF transcript, I've got that all available for you at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 213, 213, okay? And I've crammed a lot into this episode. So make sure you head to that link. You can grab the transcript if you want to file it away in your project records for when you get to your construction drawings and then you can pull it out and you can refer to the transcript as you move through and make sure that you're using it to uh, check off your construction drawings and pick up any inaccuracies or dramas before they become stressful situations on site. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.